Thanks, everyone, for tuning in to another Buffalo TechCast, where we talk to founders and funders about the startup ecosystem here in Western New York. We'll get to the program in a second, but first, make sure you subscribe to us on SoundCloud or on iTunes. Okay, this week we're talking to David Colligan, the managing partner at Colligan Law and chairman of the Buffalo Angels Group. The things we're talking about include how angel investors such as Dave make their choices, how a high net worth individual should treat scalable startup companies as part of their broader investment portfolio, and how the angel and venture capital game in Buffalo is undergoing irrevocable change. So without further ado, here's the conversation between Dave Colligan and I. So as you said, the Buffalo Angels are agnostic investors. They look at a lot of different deals, which means that you have a really good idea of the, of the spectrum of entrepreneurs and technology that's uh, coming out of Buffalo. Correct. Is there anything that Buffalo does well as far as entrepreneurship or innovation? Um, I'm asking, you know, B2B software, medical devices. Do, do we have any particular areas of strength? Well, I think we clearly have a um, a strong uh, medical um, uh, product um, uh, background, and it's basically uh, the marriage of the old technology, what I call post-industrial technology, and the new technology, which is the medical technology. Medical devices are basically um, manufactured products that are um, for the medical industry. And because of all the incumbent knowledge about um, uh, manufacturing here in the Western New York area, that fits well with the new medical um, emphasis that our um, Buffalo Niagara Medical Center is bringing, our campus is bringing to the forefront. So that's clearly a strength. I think since Z80 Labs has opened up, uh, we've had a little bit of strength in the digital area. We had none before, zero. Okay, um, and now it's becoming more common to see a good digital uh, um, enterprise, including big data, is now on the horizon. We have medical records is becoming more and more part of the uh, uh, opportunities we're seeing. So um, that's definitely getting better. Now, um, I can tell you that the Buffalo Angels have formed a subgroup within the Angels to do medical investing, where at one time we said we would never touch anything to do with the FHA um, because um, that takes long periods of time. We've changed our mind about that. We have four or five doctors that are actively on the um, active angels on our uh, panel of uh, angels, and we have uh, three or four other people who work in medically related fields. So that group is now doing our screening for what deals we can look at as a group. And they, if they pass on it, um, and uh, we get to hear pitches from medical um, technologies that we never heard before. Dave, can you tell me a little bit about the personal dynamics of spending your money on things like this? Um, your money is hard earned, and you have uh, you have a family and children, and um, lots of probably good reasons not to do not to do this. What's it? I don't know. What's a what's your sort of like emotional characterization of how to do this, and who you have to justify it to? And well, I think there's um, I, I consider it product or. Uh, um, portfolio diversification. Okay. And it should be for anybody who uh, qualifies as an accredited investor, they should try to think about 
uh, how much of their money will they expose to the highest risk uh, uh, um, investments? Um, certainly, angel investing could be considered high risk. Um, uh, the um, range I tell people who I talk to, and I've talked to a lot of people about this because when we formed the fund, we had to have these kind of discussions. I would say uh, you should be thinking about at least 5% of your spendable investable income. Okay. Now, if you own a, um, a small business, your small business value is not spendable. Okay. It's tied up. <laughs> right. You can't like just withdraw it and, and invest it. So you need to have uh, spendable investable income. So if you think in terms of um, uh, 5% for uh, someone with a million dollar net worth outside their home, which is the definition of an accredited investor, that means they could invest $50,000 into a um, um, an angel investment vehicle. And for our Buffalo Angel Fund, we only uh, charge 25000 per unit. So that person could buy two units. But I tell people, don't do more than 10%, okay? Because 5 to 10% should be the range. And if you go over 10%, you have too high a risk profile, in my opinion. So once you decide you're going to do um, uh, portfolio diversification, then it makes a lot of sense to uh, join a group where other angels who have just as much interest in not losing money as you do uh, can invest. And as far as um, uh, what it means in terms of explaining it to other family members, I I'm, wouldn't be telling you uh, a big secret if I told you it took my wife a while to get used to the idea, but she now enjoys uh, reading about the companies in the paper that we invested in, and she um, enjoys meeting the entrepreneurs that we supported, and um, it's just uh, changed the entire Buffalo landscape because of the number of companies that have started and gotten funded in Buffalo in the last five years. Okay, so on the flip side, what what's this sort of emotionality around picking a company to to back, putting your money behind a company? I mean, is this sort of as dry as like stock picking, and they, or is there a is there a some sort of visceral or tangible excitement that goes along with it? Well, I think the excitement comes from knowing that you're launching a, a new group of business people into a community that you've um, sort of you're all in on. If you really think about it. I could make the argument that any high net worth person in Buffalo should be an angel investor because it's basically you're writing an insurance check on there being an economy here in the future that you can access. So if you're a banker, an insurance company executive, a um, accountant, a lawyer, uh, even doctors to some extent, we all need customers. We all need um, places where we can um, uh, get business from. All of these new companies are potential future clients and patients and, um, um, you know, uh, vendors and and other resources for the people that are here right now. Now, that doesn't mean that people should go out and borrow money to be angel investors. That's obviously, in my opinion, a poor choice of uh, how to become an angel investor. I think you need to have the extra money. Uh, and if you're getting one-tenth of one percent in a bank account, I would make an argument that you can do a lot better investing in your local community through the angel funds and the angel investment opportunities that come along. 
Dave, that point's well taken because the Angels tried for several years to raise the fund before they eventually closed it. And since that time, I think you closed in 2014, right? Since that time, the early stage investment ecosystem in Buffalo has grown by leaps and bounds. And I don't know exactly how you'd quantify it or characterize it, but a lot of people are putting a lot of money into local companies. um, And it's really a, a fairly recent phenomenon. And it's kind of interesting to think about how how far you would get, how far you will get when the Buffalo Angels start raising that second fund because I feel like the ask has gotten easier. I would agree with that. And I think what you're describing is what I call a virtuous cycle. Okay. The virtuous cycle starts with you do something for the right reasons, like you want to make a good investment. You're doing it because you want the company to get started. You want to help the community out. But then that company starts hiring people. Those people have jobs. That helps the economy. So uh, the more people that have jobs in this economy, the more people uh, will be spending money on other uh, vendors, and those people are making money now. They become potential investors, and that virtuous cycle gains momentum. And that's why uh, towns like uh, San Diego, Silicon Valley, Boston, um, Austin, Texas, Boulder, Colorado – we're very similar to two or three of those places. Even Pittsburgh has a great um, uh, um, angel and venture capital uh, ecosystem. Um, and they're basically in this virtuous cycle right now where they're, they're, they're investing money in companies that are going out and hiring people in the community and, and it keeps the employment uh, uh, levels uh, high and it keeps the wealth in the community growing. You've made a huge, not just, you know, investment as far as angel investment, but just sort of professional investment in this sector of the Buffalo economy. Because Colligan Law brands itself largely as like the or uh, a very entrepreneur focused law firm. Um, so that's interesting because it I'm on the lookout for substantive sort of happenings that that validate whether or not this is really happening in Buffalo or whether we're talking about a, a puff of smoke. But this is a this is a law firm that is a well-respected law firm that has professional, you know, uh, attorneys doing significant work. And it's really put a big bet on this. And it seems like, you know, it's it remains healthy. And it's just kind of interesting that you've um, you've decided to do that because you didn't have to do that. I'm sure there are a variety of different specialties that Colligan Law could do or brand itself and be perfectly happy. Yeah, Dan, that's true. And I um, I feel blessed that uh, we're either lucky or smart. And I don't know which, because we did start this process uh, back about five years ago. You know, three years ago when I started the firm, we made a commitment to be a startup firm and we hired people that we thought we needed in order to um, live up to the brand promise that we were uh, offering to people. And, you know, one of the things you have to have in this uh, angel investing world is you have to have people familiar with the securities laws, for instance. Well, if you really look at where are the securities lawyers, they're basically in your mega firms, okay, <laughs> mostly. And say 40 or more lawyers is where you'll usually find securities lawyer. Well, we already had one securities lawyer with us. Uh, just this month, we hired our second securities lawyer. Who was the, who was the one that was with you? Uh, John Muscati. And who did you just hire? Uh, Christine Jurasek. Okay. And Christine was trained in New York City as a securities lawyer for a big New York City firm, and she moved to Buffalo to raise her family. And her youngest just went away to school, so she was looking for a full-time job exactly when we were looking for a securities lawyer. Well, 
it worked out great for us, but we knew that it was, there's, you know, finding securities lawyers in a town like Buffalo is like finding a, 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 a hen's tooth. You know, it's just not that common. So um, we were very fortunate to get Christine, but that's an example of you don't need two securities lawyers if you don't have a fair amount of this kind of work. So this kind of work is really increasing in our firm and we're seeing more of it and we're all feeling a little pressure. We're, we're busy and, you know, that all feels good because, uh, like you said, we did take a little bit of a risk um, uh, uh, betting on the future of the startup community in Buffalo. It, but it's proceeded and grown at a rate that uh, we feel that uh, we made the right decision. Dave, I have to ask real quick for the non-legally uh, conversant among us, what good is a securities lawyer to a startup company? Well, very interestingly, uh, every security uh, or every um a uh, startup company, when they sell, uh, when they're pitching, they're actually pitching a security, okay? And when what the, you're going to do is you're going to buy something, whether it's a debt or equity instrument, that is considered a securities under the, new, the U.S. securities laws. And we, as lawyers, have to find exemptions from the securities law, law or we have to file what's called a registration statement. So in order to find the right exemption, uh, to qualify under, you have to understand the securities laws, okay? And you also have to understand how to draft the documents in such a way that they would meet the requirements of whatever exemption you're applying for, okay? So it's a pretty sophisticated area of law. Um, most people get trained in it. Uh, that's why the big firms have sort of a monopoly on securities lawyers because you need a couple of years training uh, in order to be a good securities lawyer. Otherwise, what is the relationship between a startup company and a law firm look like? What else do they get from you, and how do you make money from a uh, well such a small? Our firm? model is we don't take uh, equity. Okay, we work for fees, and obviously, not every startup can pay you a, a lot of fees. So we try to uh, work with a lean legal model for startups. Okay. We generally uh, charge a flat fee for initial formation, uh, which is a small amount of money, mostly to cover the cost of the filings. And then we work with the companies uh, and try to keep the costs down. Um, what we want to do is move the companies along the continuum from the day they form to the day they get funded by an outside funding source, not the friends and family round, but uh, the second round, which is the uh, what we call sophisticated investor, which is either an angel or VC round. So a lot of times we have to wait for our legal fees until the first round of funding comes in uh, to pay some of the uh, legal fees back. And what we um, have... We work out a deal with every entrepreneur so that there's no misunderstanding about what things cost, what they're getting for their money, and um, when we get paid. On the other hand, what's the value we bring? Okay, we should bring value in several ways. Okay, one, we should be able to um, direct them to the right ecosystem player to help them get to the funding stage the quickest. Okay. Secondly, we should be able to um, make a decision as to what type of entity that they would uh, form in order to take on the future rounds of funding that we foresee that it, they will need. And oftentimes the investor knows how often they'll have to go back to the market for money. And that makes a difference in the equity of, uh, entity choice that you make. Uh, thirdly, I think that um, a, uh, a good start on uh, a legal program for an entrepreneur ends up saving them a lot of money because 
you know, there's something called LegalZoom out there. LegalZoom has the greatest advertisements because basically if you listen to the advertisement, you'll never need a lawyer again. One of the most expensive thing is to undo the legal Zoom formations that we've been looking at. <laughs> oh, really? It's very expensive because we usually have to reincorporate them, sometimes in the state of Delaware, where a lot of investors would prefer to invest their money in, through entities formed under Delaware law. Wait, 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 wait. You're bringing something up here that I have to ask. Why is Delaware? What is that? Well, there's um, the main reason is New York law um, uh, penalizes investors um, if there are certain liabilities, uh, such as unpaid wages, when the companies that fail go out of business, because they will make the uh, shareholder or uh, LLC member, the top 10 shareholders and the top 10 LLC members liable for unpaid wages in New York. Under Delaware law, that doesn't apply. So that alone, because most investors are in the top 10 um, when they make the investment in the top 10 shareholders. So nobody wants that personal liability. No kidding. Yeah. Why doesn't New York change that? Uh, well, New York has a number of laws that are considered undesirable, and uh, they've seen their way clearly not to change the laws that people object to um, because they don't feel like they need to be competitive with other states. Um, and it's kind of uh, funny that you ask it that way because when you uh, look at the, let's say, the 50 states in the union, how many states are corporate friendly and how many states are um, you know, sort of uh, public friendly, if you want to call it that way. Uh, there's only a few that are really corporate friendly, Nevada, uh, Delaware. And um, so people are forming uh, entities under these two state laws uh, to the exclusion of the other states. And it's not just New York. Everybody has some funny laws they have to deal with. I want to get back on track with the angels real quick and ask you about um, follow on investing. Um, well, how is the group approaching that have you had any uh, any companies come back with a bigger round yet and yes you know we the- actually have a, a second round in a company called grainful that uh, we were invested in in the first round before we had a fund and so they came back to us for a second round investment and we ac- agreed to do that with grainful uh, and that uh, was basically a second round investment and uh, the fund uh, that we have keeps about uh, 50% of the money that we've identified for investment uh, available for what's called dry powder. Dry powder is follow-on investments. There's several ways to look at follow-on investments. The way I look at it personally, and I think most of the people in the angel group uh, look at it the same way, is you're you follow on investing in companies that you invested because other money's coming in and you will get diluted. Okay. And you don't want to be diluted uh, to the point where your investment is insignificant. So what a lot of follow on angel investment uh, is for is just to maintain your position within the company. So a lot of times um, angel investors aim for a 1% interest. Okay. If there's a big investment coming in in the second round, you want to maintain your 1%. You have to come up with some money to do that. You come up with additional money to maintain your position. Dave, just before we wrap it up, I'm interested, generally speaking, if you could characterize the the direction of the innovation scene in Buffalo. Uh Dan, it's, it's got all the earmarks of becoming a regional center for entrepreneurship, okay? And when I say regional, I mean it looks like 
we're starting to pull ahead of some of our uh, closer uh, cities. Uh, I thought Syracuse and Rochester were way ahead of Buffalo at one time. I don't think that's the case anymore. Uh, I I think Erie, Pennsylvania is looking for at Buffalo and their innovation center, so we're kind of pulling ahead of um, uh, Erie. Where uh, we haven't caught up to Pittsburgh yet, we haven't caught up to Boston. We may never catch up with Boston and Silicon Valley. They're just so far out ahead of everybody else. New York City is way out ahead of everybody else. But if we could be a regional entrepreneur center, you know, and we can pull from a three or four state area and get the entrepreneurs to move here and start their businesses here, we are going to have a wonderful viable economy for decades to come. It's interesting looking at those, um, everybody, you know, the Silicon Valley comparison, the Boston, uh, New York City. I mean, you know, I think everybody sort of agrees those are those are unlikely, highly unlikely events. But, um, you know, just as an exercise, it's interesting looking at comparisons because w- what's happening in Buffalo is very, uh, it's, it's only relative almost to itself and to Buffalo's own history. And sort of almost only important in that way. I mean, other than some competitiveness concerns, like what's happening here has a lot of sort of very regional characteristics. And it's really been very reliant on the actors in Buffalo, with the exception of some state money. Um, Very little state money. Very little state money relative to the activity that's happening. Right. Um, And the ultimate characterization or definition of what this sort of scene is going to look like is from local founders, local funders, and, you know, ultimately companies that grew out, grow out of that scene will have sort of, I don't know, local characteristics, I guess you could say. Well, that's one way to look at it. I look at it as uh, from the point of view of what's missing in this picture. You know, you're, you're always looking at a picture in static form and you're saying what's missing. What's missing right now in Buffalo is the serial entrepreneur available to be reassigned. Okay. Um, we've had a problem in the past with reassigning uh, people into new uh, startups that have had some success or even failure in previous startups because we just didn't have the numbers to work with. Now what we're doing is we're attracting people who have had startup experiences in other cities. They're contacting us. I have a list on my desk of about six people who are actively looking for a job in Buffalo. Don't live in Buffalo right now, but want to come back to Buffalo to run not-for-profits, or not not not-for-profits, but entrepreneurial uh, startups that are um, uh, in need of uh, either a new CEO, a new um, CFO, which is a chief financial officer, a new CTO, a chief technology officer. There are people that have succeeded or worked in startups in other uh, environments, and they have some connection to Buffalo and they want to come back. It's interesting that you say that because I agree there is an experience gap in Buffalo. That's what's A lot missing. of things are developing. Right, but, but that's what's missing. Exactly. So it'll be interesting to see how that, um, you know, how that plays out. And I, I, you assume that if a company, the, the bigger the companies are, the more they spin off, you know, the more they, people leave those companies who are, have gained the experience of growing with them and are available again to do that, you know, gr- the growers of the ecosystem. Well, that's exactly right, because it's called a skill set. If your skill set is to found and build, it's probably not to maintain and um and um, to when it gets to a certain size, do the maintenance work because that's very boring to a founder. Okay, to a serial entrepreneur, the worst thing for them is to have a job that's totally predictable. They want to come in and have chaos everywhere and deal with it on a daily basis. That's what motivates them. So 
when, even though you and I both identify the lack of experienced entrepreneurs as a big gap here in Buffalo, the uh, solution to that is time. Because in time, we will get a number of new entrepreneurs um, who can be reassigned because they just came out of uh, previous gigs. And I think, Dan, the last time we spoke, you asked me when would what would be the measure of success in Buffalo. And I said the measure would be when we start to celebrate failure. And I think we're there. One last point on what we're talking about now is um, it's interesting to, to, to look at we're sort of talking about the theory of a growing entrepreneurial ecosystem and the how experienced growers come out of that. And Cinecor is a really good example of that because a lot of the people who formed the basis of the Z80 ecosystem helped grow Cinecor. Correct. And they got bored with it. Right. And um, are now growing new companies. Correct. So just that one hit right. had a huge impact. Just one. And just imagine when we have 10 Cinecors or 20 Cinecors It'll be so exciting to be in Buffalo, New York. Uh, you know, it'd be a great time. Dave, thanks as usual, and uh, we'll, let's do it again. Okay, Dan. Thank you. Thanks again to David Colligan for participating in this week's Buffalo Tech Cast. I'm Dan Miner of Buffalo Business First, and we'll talk to you all next week.